preparing for Christmas, putting up lights, decorating a tree, baking cookies. It was never really my thing. But after the Corona coaster that we have been on all year long, plus everything else that 2020 threw our way, I was just, I was just looking for a little good old fashioned holiday cheer and fast. You know, it's strange. For all this talk of cheer and tis the season to be jolly, It's like the holidays are the time that bring out the ugliness in all of us. And I'm not just talking about Uncle Marvin's sweater. I mean, that thing is nasty, but no, I'm talking about the way we speak and the way we talk and the way we treat one another. That's ugly. I mean, it is pretty ridiculous the amount of time that I spend adjusting my camera to feel what? 5% more confident on Zoom? or throwing up a virtual background so that nobody can see the disaster area that is my living room behind me. But still, the way that I think about myself and my home and my family are not spreading any joy to the world. And my words, wow. I mean, if someone found a way to track everything that I have said while I was on mute or log all of the comments that I have made about every sanitizer stockpiling, toilet paper hoarding, mask below your nose, snorkeling person I come in contact with. Sorry. See? We have an ugliness problem on our hands. But for a weary world, there is rejoicing because yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. I'm looking at you, 2021. But seriously, For all the messiness that is our motives and the ugliness that is our words and actions, the good news that Jesus entered into all of that muck and made it beautiful is pretty amazing. So, friend, you are in good company. Put your boots on, bundle up, and let's go get into our ugly. Welcome everybody to our brand new Christmas series, Ugly Christmas Sweaters. Now, I don't have any ugly Christmas sweaters. I have plenty of sweaters that some people might consider to be ugly, but I do have this very, very attractive Christmas sports coat and tie, and I thought I would wear that. In fact, I like it so much. I think it is so hip that I went out and bought a dress for my wife, Marsha, and we're probably going to put it on our Christmas card for this year. And, uh, I mean, don't we look like the most fashionable couples? I, I can imagine what some of you are thinking right now, thoughts like, wow, I wish I had that outfit. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, that makes them look so fit and slim. I can imagine somebody thinking, hashtag, where can I find one? I... I don't think any of you are having any bad thoughts about our our outfit, are you? I mean, is it possible there are some bad thoughts that maybe sound like this out there? How embarrassing. That sure makes them look fat. Talk about drawing attention to yourself. That will sure put our church on the map. I wonder whose awful idea this was. Hashtag, what were they thinking? I just can't believe that some of you would have such bad thoughts about my pick and my my beautiful, you know, sports coat, my wife's dress. But seriously, I mean, aren't you glad that um, people cannot read your 
thoughts. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like if people could see that little cloud above our head and see everything that we are thinking? We would all be in very, very deep weeds, wouldn't we? But you know something? While people may not be able to exactly read our thoughts, I think they can tell what we're thinking by the way that we look. In fact, um, there is a little book called The Twits, and uh, the book is by Roald uh, Dahl, who wrote Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And in it, he talks about the effect of ugly thoughts on our very appearance and good thoughts on our appearance. So here's what he says. He says, if a person has ugly thoughts, it begins to show on the face. And when that person has ugly thoughts every day, every week, every year, well, the face gets uglier and uglier, and you can hardly bear to look at it. And so then Quentin Blake comes along, and he illustrates what uh, Dahl said. And so you see this, this lady here who appears very ordinary, but she has these ugly thoughts, and as time progresses, oh my goodness, uh, look what Look what happens to her as a result of that, okay? Then he goes on and he says this. He says, a person who has good thoughts cannot even be ugly. You can have a wonky nose and a crooked mouth and a double chin and stick out teeth, but if you have good thoughts, it will shine out of your face like sunbeams and you'll always look lovely. And so Quentin Blake illustrates that this way. And I mean, look, right? I mean, you got the wonky nose, you got the double chin, you got the stick out teeth and all that, but I don't know, there's just something delightful about her, right? And what's so delightful is the fact that her mind is just filled with really good thoughts. So let me ask you a question. Who would you rather spend the day with? Would you rather spend it with the lady who's been influenced by ugly thoughts? Or would you rather spend it with this lady who's being influenced by good thoughts? I know that this would be my choice. And so, you know, the real question comes down to this. What are your thoughts doing to you? How do your thoughts make you appear? Now, I am going to take off this uh, beautiful jacket because I know if I keep it on, it's going to cause some of you to get migraines with the uh, bright colors. And I'll put that away for a second here. And uh, this is a little bit more tolerable, all right? But I promise you it will make an appearance again. Make sure you wear your ugly sweaters. So it's fun for us to talk a little bit about ugly sweaters. It's fun at Christmas time to wear your unfashionable sweaters that actually become a fashion statement. But you know something? It is no fun to be around somebody who has sinfully ugly thoughts. And unfortunately, sometimes we're that someone, aren't we? In fact, maybe even this weekend, right where you are in your home, your apartment, at our campus where you're watching, wherever it is, maybe you've already been struggling with some really negative and bad thoughts. I want to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself, to ask God to help take our thoughts, our thinking, our ideas, our our imagination, and move it towards purity, move it towards being a thought life that's uplifting and positive and encouraging. How do we do that? Well, before we answer that question, we actually have to start by asking a different kind of question. And the question I want to ask is, how did we get to this place anyway? Why is it we struggle with negative thoughts, with bad thoughts, with ugly thoughts in our lives? 
And to answer that question, we've got to go back to the genesis of the mind, literally to the book of Genesis. Now, some of the things I want to share with you come by way of Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, as well as Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Ethics. I want to give them credit, but I've kind of brought it down to a level where I at least can understand it, and maybe it'll help you. And you know, there's something about drawing out the things you're trying to understand. So here's an opportunity for you uh, to draw with Dale, if you'd like. And I encourage you to do that because you're going to improve it, and it's going to help you retain some of the very important things that I want to share with you. Okay, so here's how we're going to start. I want you to start by simply just writing down the name of God. So all you got to do is just write God down here. And then what I want you to do is I want you to draw an arrow this direction. Okay, because God is the creator. He's always been. We're going to start with this creation of the first human being. That is Adam. Okay, so what I want you to do is draw kind of a face for Adam... And then I want you to draw a line across because this is going to represent his mind. Now I have room to write the words, so I'll write the initials here. In his mind, we're going to put a T for thoughts. We're going to put an I for ideas. And we're going to put another I for the imagination. And then because it was the very beginning and everything was good, you can give him a smiley face, okay? Now, I've talked to you about this before. It's been a while, all right? So you may remember this, but we're going to go just kind of take it a little bit deeper than the last time we talked about it a few years ago. Now, let's define thoughts, ideas, imagination. Thoughts are all the ways that we're aware of things. Ideas are the assumptions that we form by putting our thoughts together about certain things. And our imagination describes when we take things and we put them in kind of an image or a picture, either literally or in our imagination, and it moves our feelings. So what you might want to do is uh, just for the body, just write the word feelings underneath, okay? Because our feelings and our thoughts are very connected to each other. Get some feet there, all right? And uh, in the very beginning, okay, the way that Adam and then Eve perceived God perceived themselves, perceived each other, and the entire environment that God had put them in was only good. That means they had only good thoughts, good ideas, and a good imagination. And that's because God was the source for all that. And God wanted to protect them, so God put a fence in the garden. I call it a fence. And the fence I'm talking about is that tree in the garden that we think of as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said to his creation, Adam and Eve, I want you to live in this garden. I want you to enjoy it. But that tree, the tree of what is, what is good and evil belongs to me. I'll manage and control that. You guys can't. And all you have to do is leave it alone. And what he was doing was giving them an opportunity to choose to obey him. And God said he, they would be blessed. But he said, if you take that fruit and eat it, if you steal from me, if you take what belongs to me, you're going to suffer dire consequences. You will die. And everything went well as long as they lived in the fence and obeyed and trusted God. Everything was good. Their minds were good. All was good. Now, write this down. In comes Satan. Right? And Satan speaks to their mind, and Satan says, why don't you jump the fence? In other words, why don't you take what God says you cannot have? Instead of God being the source 
of your thoughts, ideas, and imagination. You will be the source of your own thoughts, ideas, and imagination. And he was lying. He was lying so much. Because what he wants to do is he wants to take over their thoughts, their ideas, and their imagination. He realizes they're going to become enslaved to him. Well, Adam and Eve disobey God. They take what doesn't belong to them. They jump the fence, so to speak. And as a result of that, now everything they perceive about themselves, about God, about each other, about the environment around them is totally corrupted. How corrupted is it? Well, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, we read these words. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything, notice what it says, everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Was consistently and totally evil. I read a statistic the other day, and, and, and it's interesting how it varies. But current research says we have about 6,200 thoughts a day. Now, some people say it's all the way up into the tens of thousands of thoughts that we have every day. So let's just choose something like 10,000 thoughts a day. Do you realize that 80% of your 10,000 thoughts a day always lean toward the negative? It's provable. And that 95% of the thoughts we have every day are a repeat of the thoughts we had yesterday. So think about all that negativity. Think about all that continual stream of things that are corrupt and wrong that are feeding our minds. Well, we don't have to just look at Genesis. Look what else we hear in the scriptures. Paul writes and says, Satan, who is the God of this world, who wants to be the source, right? Who's the inspiration of this world now, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. And he would love to blind the minds of those who believe with deceit and with lies. That's why we talked about having our spiritual armor, tucking our lives into the truth from our last series. They are unable, the unbelievers, to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about, glory, about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And then Paul wrote the words that we've already talked about in our last series of Ephesians 6. He says, look, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So there's this barrage, this is barrage of evil thoughts and evil ways coming at us. And so the question is, how do, how do I protect my mind? How do I protect the mind of my, my family, my, my kids? How do we protect each other's minds? How do we have the right kind of mind? And to answer that question, I want to share three thoughts with you, begins this way. We need a change of mind, a total shift in our thinking. Now listen carefully. I'm talking about the fact that we need another mind to come into our lives and influence and take over our minds. I'm not saying that what we need to do is go out and become moralists. That somehow I in my own strength and effort must change my thinking. Because if I try to do it all on my own, I'm fighting a losing battle. And you'll find out why pretty soon. 
I need a power greater than myself to change and to influence my mind. And that's only going to come in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if you want to have the right kind of mind, you have to have a relationship with Christ. And you have to understand that the potential for right thinking is in you because of Christ. Let's kind of review what that means for a moment. Look what it says in uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who believe, so there's the key, to all those who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. It's like, it's like Jesus makes it possible for me to go back to the Garden of Eden and be in relationship with God again. 1 John 5, 12 puts it this way. Whoever has the Son has life. If you have Jesus in your life, you really have life. You have eternal life. You have a powerful life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. You may have biological life, all right? You still have your soul, but you don't have real living. You don't have the life of God in you, the breath of God, so to speak, breathing in you. So we move on into our next passage of Scripture. Paul writes and he says, look, those who are spiritual can evaluate all things. Now here's the key. For why? Because of all the other passages we have read, because we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that awesome? Just stop for a moment. Let me just kind of slow down for a moment as you're listening to me there in your living room or you're at your desk, your apartment, or wherever, wherever it is at one of our campuses right now. And just think about that for a minute. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. That is so awesome, isn't it? You know, a lot of times we talk about benefits and privileges, right? You know, we go to work and we say, I got these great, you know, health benefits at work. I've got retirement. I've got, you know, I've got life insurance. Or, you know, I, I belong to such and such a gym and the benefits are I get to work out here and I get to swim and I get to do all these things. Or I belong to a certain club and the benefits of that is A, B, C. We're all looking for benefits. And I think what we forget is that the greatest benefits that we have are from God. Do you realize that God has invited us to partake of his divine life? Can you imagine a benefit greater than that? Let me explain that to you. Let's go to some words from the Apostle Peter. He said, his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I mean, the benefits and blessings through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Do you, do you see some of the benefits here? The promises, the new life, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So God takes us out of our sinful state, he invites us into relationship with himself. He infuses us with the presence of his Holy Spirit. And we now, we now are one with the Father and one with the Son and one with the Spirit. Now let me share with you kind of an illustration that may help us understand what it means then to have the mind of Christ. Imagine your mind is like a computer, okay? And it's got a virus in it. And the virus has corrupted the hard drive. There's all kinds of problems. All the applications are messed up. So what we do is we upload into us the antivirus. We upload into us the Spirit of God, 
the truth of God. And the Spirit literally rewrites our hard drive. It writes out the bad application, and it begins to write in the new applications. It begins to write in the truth into our lives. It begins to write in the mind of Christ. And so I have to make a decision in my life. Am I going to operate by the new mind that Christ has given me, or am I going to operate by my old mind, my old nature. One leads to life and the other leads to death, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So let me ask you the question, and the question is very simple. Which mind are you living by? Which mind are you operating by? Which leads us to a second thought, and that is this. We must become single-minded. We must become single-minded, focused on operating by the mind of Christ. I was reading an a article this week about a woman uh, in uh, Woodbridge, Mass, uh, Woodbridge, Virginia, who went out and found on her front lawn a double-headed copperhead snake, which is a venomous snake. And so she called, you know, uh, the Division of Natural Resources, and they came out and they captured the snake and examined it and found out that it had one, you know, it had one pair of lungs, it had one heart, but it had two brains because it had two heads. And the wildlife expert said, this is a real problem for this snake. For instance, it's a problem because when it goes to eat, it takes it, it, takes it twice as long to eat and makes it more vulnerable to its predators. Not only that, but when one head decides it wants to take a drink and the other head kind of doesn't care about having a drink and it goes under the water or whatever to get its drink, it forces that other head down as well. And when it's trying to escape and move quickly, well, which direction do you go? Because one head wants to go this way and one head wants to go that way. And he said, these rare cephalic snakes don't last very long. They actually die pretty early on because of the fact that they've got these two brains, so to speak, these two minds. They're operating at times at odds with each other. You know, Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters, for you'll love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. Go on in the scriptures and Paul puts it this way, he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, and there's the key, all right? Controlled by the Holy Spirit. As a believer, you have the Spirit of God in you, but the question is, how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? You have the Spirit of God in you, but are you defaulting to your old mindset, or are you letting the Spirit of God control how you think? He says, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Because they're looking to the Spirit as the source of their thinking, their thoughts, their ideas, their imaginations. So letting your sinful nature control your mind, that leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind, that leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. And Paul talks about that in Galatians 5, how there's this battle going on in us between our fleshly mind and, our, and the Holy Spirit who wants to take control of our mind. Who am I going to yield to? Who am I going to surrender to? He says it never did obey God's law, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. 
It just can't happen. It won't happen. James says, you know, those who are double-minded, right, that they are unstable in their lives, in their journey. So let me ask a question. Are you single-minded, focused on the mind of Christ in you, or do you find yourself double-minded? You know, it's easy to be single-minded when everything's working out, isn't it? I mean, when everything's going along and you're being blessed, it, it's easy to kind of be focused and single-minded. But when stuff starts to happen, when you don't get the promotion, or you start in, encountering some form of suffering, whether it's, you know, physical or emotional, whatever it is, or when, um, you know, when there's temptation coming your way and you really want what you're being tempted by, man, that's when that other head, right, like that snake, that other head appears. And, and the temp, you know, it's so tempting in those moments to give in to the old way. Because sometimes being single-minded and following God's way, that, that's not easy to do. Because God's way is so opposite of the world's way. And God says to us, come. He bids us come and die to self and surrender to him. We need to be single-minded. All right? Now, I want to look at a third aspect here, which is so very important for our culture in our day. And I really want to call the attention of all parents to really be listening carefully to what I have to say to you. All right? The third aspect of having the right mind is not only the change in mind, the relationship with Christ, not only becoming single-minded, but finally, we should, with our minds, pursue purity. Because I still, I still have to decide how I'm going to use my mind. It's a choice. God's not going to make me have the mind of Christ. I have to choose to access and let the mind of Christ have control of me and to be obedient to the mind of Christ. Paul wrote these words to Philippians in chapter 4. He said, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Look what he says. Fix, so that's that single-mindedness, that's that focus, right? Fix your thoughts, we could say your ideas, your imagination, on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Everything that is good, in other words. Good by God's definition of good. That's what we need to be focusing our minds on. That's what we need to be feeding our minds with. He says, think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice. So something I have to practice. It doesn't come natural. I've got to yield to the Spirit. I've got to I've got to discipline myself to focus on things that are good and right and pure and uplifting and praiseworthy. He says, putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Will be with you. Paul's saying, look, I was an example for you. Follow my example. And so parents, grandparents, let me say to you, you're an example. You're an example to those around you. And you got to encourage them to follow your example. Now, one of the areas that most influences our minds more than any other is the world of media. And so I want to talk to you about this and and you hear these things. I've got a lot of statistics I'm going to be sharing with you. I'm doing that because I want to convince you. And secondly, I'm doing it because I don't want to wake you up. 
Because I think we've kind of gotten lulled to sleep by the power and the influence of the media on our lives and our families and our culture today. I came across some recent research. According to uh, CNN, U.S. teens spend an average of more than seven hours per day on screen media for entertainment. And tweens spend nearly five hours, according to a new report. And that does not include time spent using screens for school and homework. Man, that is a lot of time on social media. It's a lot of time on video games. It's a lot of time in front of the TV. It's a lot of time in front of movies. It's just a lot of time. And if we're having six to 10,000 or more thoughts a day and we're watching that screen, what is that screen communicating to us in thoughts, in ideas, and in imagery? Does it fit Philippians chapter 4, verse 8? Does it help us? Is it help us grow in understanding and having the mind of Christ? How about adults? Research tells us that uh, adults spend about 12 hours and 9 minutes a day watching these kinds of, of things, all right? Now, having said that, I want to talk about an area that has become very problematic in our culture. And it's a, it's, a, it's a dirty little secret that the church doesn't want to talk about. And it affects so many people in the church. And I want to talk to you about pornography for just a moment. Now, I don't want you to freak out. No imagery. I'm not going to get graphic or anything like that. But I want you to understand how profound an effect, how deadly an effect, pornography is having on the minds of children as young as elementary age, all the way up to adults in our country. So here's some stats for you, all right? Every second, 28,000 users are watching pornography on the internet. Every second, $3,000 is being spent on pornography on the internet. Every second, 372 people are typing the word adult into a search engine. We move on. Every day, 37 pornographic videos are created in the U.S. 2.5 billion emails containing porn are sent or received. 68 million search queries related to pornography. 25% of total searches generated. 116,000 queries related to child pornography are received. It's staggering when you think about it. The statistics go on. The effects of online pornography in the U.S., there are about 200,000 Americans that are classified as porn addicts. 40 million American people regularly visit porn sites. 35% of all internet downloads are related to pornography. 34% of internet users have experienced unwanted exposure to pornographic content through ads, pop-up ads, misdirected links or emails. And one-third of porn viewers are women. Now, if, that, if those statistics aren't bad enough, what we're coming to discover is that within the church itself, it's estimated that somewhere around 62% of folks who attend church, men in particular, will visit a pornographic site at least once a month. Now, listen carefully. When I say people in church who call themselves Christians are going to porn sites at least once a month, 62% of them. 
you have to understand we're defining Christianity in a very broad way. It may be somebody who calls himself a Christian but doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Or it may be somebody who's a Christian but they're very, they're very nominal, very nominal in their faith journey and their walk with God. So you've got to keep that in mind because that's a whopping statistic, 62%, more than half. You've got to keep that in mind. The point is, it's a problem. And it's not just a problem for men, it's also a problem for women. There's a growing industry for, for pornography for women and young women who are getting addicted to it. Now, most women will go to a pornographic site because they're trying to figure out what they need to be like in order to find a man, in order to please a man. Do you see how evil this is? Do you see how detrimental and destructive it is? It ruins one's identity. It ruins one's sexuality. It ruins the lives of boys and girls who are getting hooked on this stuff at such an early age. It ruins and degrades women. It's abominable, really. It truly is. And yet, so oftentimes, we don't want to talk about it. And it's a real sin. It's a real, real issue that people struggle with. And it's detrimental. And it's dangerous. And it's all around us. And you don't have to go looking for it. It comes looking for you. Now my point here is not to make you feel ashamed. Or not to make you feel guilty if you have or do struggle with this. But the point is it all comes down to a choice. Nobody makes me go to that site. Nobody makes me watch this. And by the way, pornography in terms of addiction is more potent than morphine or cocaine because it releases endorphins in the mind. It creates a chemical kind of addiction. But I, I still have to make the choice and what I'm asking us all to do is to begin making right choices, good choices. To only feed on, on sources that are going to help develop our Christ-mindedness. Not be in conflict with it or distort it. Look what Paul said. Paul said, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Paul goes on and says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Man, we're, we're, so, we're struggling with that so much in our culture as Christians today. Don't, Paul says, don't copy the culture. Don't copy what everybody else is saying and everybody else is doing. But let God, look what he says. <clears throat> let God transform you into a new person. By how? By changing the way that you think. Let God control your thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So my challenge to you, my challenge to you as we start this series is to overcome ugly thoughts by surrendering your mind and feeding your mind on the Lord and giving the spirit control of your thoughts, your ideas, your imagination. And perhaps making changes in your viewing habits and the viewing habits of your children. Do you know what your kids are watching? Do you know what games they're playing on the video? Do you know what images are being put into the minds of your sons and your daughters? 
We have to, we, you have to take aggressive steps. You've got to get serious about this. It's worse than COVID-19. It's worse than any other pandemic. It's something that needs to be addressed. And perhaps you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, how do I help somebody who's struggling with this? Maybe you know somebody who's struggling with this area in their life, particularly area of pornography. I've got a couple of websites I want to draw your attention to. One is for women in particular, and it is called beggarsdaughter.com. Beggarsdaughter.com. There's tremendous resources there for women and for, for teenage women, uh, for girls like 13 on up. And uh, it's, it's inspired by, by a, a gal who was addicted to porn and has found deliverance and wants to share that. So great resources there for women, all right? And then for guys and, and gals, setfreesummit.org. Many great resources there. Many great resources there to help you out. And then finally, if we can help you out confidentially, then if you'll email us at pastoral.care at wooddale.org, we promise to be very confidential with you. A pastor will be in contact with you. We have ministries through our, through our Celebrate Recovery. We have one-on-one -on -one ministries to help you break free or help that person you know of if they're willing to break free from the addiction and the sin of pornography that is all around us and is infecting the hearts and lives of so many believers. God wants you to, free, to be free. I want you to be free. And I invite you to take that step. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've talked about a pretty heavy subject here. But God, we know that our minds are under a constant barrage by the evil one. We know, Lord, that we are subject to all kinds of images and ideas and information that, are, that just don't jive with the word of God. They don't fit in with the truth of God. And Lord, they create a battle in us and they rob us of joy and they rob us of spiritual insight and growth and a walk and relationship with you. Lord, I pray that this weekend, right where we are, we do a serious inventory of our lives, the sources from which we're drawing our thoughts and our ideas and our, and our images. And God, if we need to repent of drawing from the wrong resources, then we'll repent. If it means, God, that we're going to be unpopular with our kids, then we'll be unpopular. If it means we got to step back from some, some things, Lord, we'll step back from them. But God, we want our minds to be right with you. We want you to use our minds. We want you to control our minds. And so in a fresh way, Lord, we want to surrender to you and start making those good choices. Hard choices, but good choices. And glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, if we can help you, encourage you in any way, please let us know. And one of those ways during this Christmas season is what we call our 12 days of prayer. And I would love for you to sign up. It's during the noon hour. All right. It's going to be from December 12th to 23rd. We just, we just want to pray with you. And we've got trained partners that are ready to pray with you. So between now and December 9th, go on the website and sign up for a 15-minute slot. And whatever the need is in your life, 
Whatever it is, maybe you're just discouraged. Maybe it's the COVID thing. Maybe it's for healing. Maybe maybe it's for someone you love and care about. Let some people pray for you. There's power in prayer. We'll hope you take advantage of it. God bless you guys. Next weekend, we're going to talk about ugly words. So wear your ugly sweater, all right? We'll see you then. God bless.